Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers united by a shared vision for student flourishing. I'm Scott Postman, and I'm joined by Joffrey Sweet, our student advisor. I'm happy to be here. In this episode, we're going to be talking about well, the ideas, just the cosmic worldview ideas that kids express in different generations with expressions such as you've been owned and you've been schooled. schooled. You've been schooled. Yeah. So today um, we're going to go a little deep. We're going to get into the weeds a little bit and um, probably a little bit radical. Would yeah. you say? Oh yeah, it's time to dig down to the root. Yeah, we've now we've hinted around at some of the things we're going to talk about today. We've uh, played around with some of these ideas, uh, but today, as Joffrey mentioned, we are going to get down into the weeds and say some things that we hope will leave you thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps um, in some ways, uh, it could be perceived that we're picking a fight and we don't really want to be perceived necessarily <laughs> that way. However, um, I do hope it will leave us to think about some things in a way maybe we've not thought about them before. So That's right. And anytime you do that, of course, you know, that's, that's a challenge. That's a gauntlet laid down. It's, um, well, it's Pulling the pulling the hairs out of the arm as you, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like a, or the the wax off of the upper lip, yes, and the people are going to squeal. Yeah, it's it might be a little painful. Well, th- there's a couple of ways we um, just in in full disclosure we kind of talked about you know what's the best way to start this conversation, and uh, one way uh, we talked about starting the conversation is thinking about how we could change the constitution. Um, and so maybe we'll come back to. So actually, before we we get to that, because there are a yeah. couple of illustrations we want to use, and that's that's what you're you're talking about right now. But let's actually give folks a very clear statement of what it is we're talking about. We're talking about deinstitutionalization completely. Um, not not unschooling, right? Just to be clear, there's there's a movement called unschooling. We're not talking right. about that, but we're talking about the deinstitutionalization of a culture, of yes. the nation, uh, and in particular, in the practical sense of school. So, you know, we, we as educators, you know, the, the point of this podcast is to get to the point where we're talking about de-schooling, again, not unschooling. Yep. But before we do that, we have to talk about institutionalization and de-institutionalization. And we have to talk about seeing behind the curtain of, you know, there's a reason that before we got to this episode, we talked about cosmology, right. about worldview, yep. right? So the world is built a certain way. When we talk about the world, the flesh, and mm-hmm. the devil, right? There, there are competing cosmologies, only one real cosmos, though. Can we see that cosmos? Can we see it right now? Or, or is what we see constructed by the sons of Cain? Yeah. And that's, that's where we're going to ask you to look behind the curtain, right? right. So this is, um, uh, this is one of the ways uh, that, you know, we're kind of challenging the status quo. Um, and, and I hate to use this cliche, this cliche, but a lot of times what schools do in school and education reform is they're just rearranging deck chairs on a sinking ship, right? Or a ship heading the wrong direction. And I hate to use a cliche, but I'm not sure there's a better description when we get to this. So um, we start out, uh, maybe we'll just start out this way and we'll come back to the Constitution in a second here, okay? But we start out 
uh, we were born into an institution or we die in an institution, right? That's right. And really it, it goes beyond birth and death, right? So yeah. we're born in a hospital, Correct. right? And then we go off to kindergarten, which is not school, by the way. It's, Something totally different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then and then we go to school mm-hmm. and then possibly go to college or a, a vocational institution where we are made. We of are course in further, you're going to go to college. <laughs> of course, right. We're, we are further institutionalized. We are, you know, we've talked about this plenty on this podcast, how you're shaped a certain way yep. that you want your, you, they want particular sorts of cogs so mm-hmm. you can be made to be that. Um, and then it's after that that you actually are the freest you'll ever be in your life. Working for a corporation? That's right. Yes. <laughs> because after that, well, then you're institutionalized again, right? right? You're dependent upon the government for money. And then you end up in a nursing home. And then finally, you return to the bosom of the clinic and the hospital to die. Right. And I, th- I think it's really important to observe that a lot of Christians, they see parts of this. Mm-hmm. Like the home birth movement right. or homeschooling are both parts of that where you see, okay, you know, it, it's it's ugly and unjust that I can't have a baby in my home. Yeah. So I'm going to fight that. Um, but I, 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 we really want to have a clarion call for people to see how our entire lives are institutionalized and how it really requires radical thinking and radical changes in lifestyle to deinstitutionalize one's life. And then, you know, what will you do with birth and death and education and all these things that are so important to you and your family? Um, all that comes, comes from there. And we're going to argue that the public school or the institutionalized school system is part of what, uh, or mostly of what cultivates this kind of thinking. And we're, we're saying that it's radical. We're, we're calling this a radical idea to change. But the fact of the matter is this kind of thinking is less than 150 years old right. in this country. Yes. But, you know, but that, that's how, how, you know, heavy this velvet curtain is, right? <laughs> we talk about the velvet glove uh, around the, the fist of iron, right? There's a curtain of velvet uh, that surrounds us with its weight and it muffles the sound from outside. And, you know, we look around and we see the world. What other world could there be, yeah. right? Um, you, you, uh, you were telling me a story about some fish. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the idea, uh, David Foster Wallace uh, has a, a famous, um, a late philosopher, but has a famous little story that he was uh, telling a couple little fish go for a swim in the morning, you know, they're, they're heading out and they cross an old fish, you know, an older fish. And the, the older fish says to the two boys as they're swimming by, he's like, morning, boys, how's the water? And they kind of nod and swim on by. And one of the fish turned to the other and is like, What's water? <laughs> <laughs> Boom, exactly. And we find ourselves in, in that situation. We might even say we find ourselves in the situation with the temperature of the water slowly rising. Right, yeah. Right? And so we need to see, um, you know, what, what, what the world uh, that we are in is like and what the world we want to want to build is like and how they really are in direct competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are we live in these here United States of America. Right. Yep. Well, and as you were saying, <laughs> I got this image. We're kind of like Toto. We're just chewing on the corner of the carpet or the, the curtain. And we're going to pull it back so you can kind of see yeah. the guy behind the curtain. <laughs> uh, so we do live in the United States. And um, 
late 19th century, um, early 20th century for, you know, I'm going to say 150 years just to give, you know, because there was different movements, but Horace Mann, later John Dewey introduced this Prussian model. Um, when, when Horace Mann visited these Prussian schools, he was mesmerized, fascinated by, um, how these schools cultivated the statist mentality. Um, and, and so he brought it back, you know, introduced it in, into the American public school system. And this is what we have known, um, you know, for the last little over a hundred years, 130 years or so. And we've been, we've been arguing over these last few episodes, you know, how the modern school, uh, it, it doesn't work for educating free men and women. And we hope that you've, you've bought into that with us. And yeah. the purpose of education is to, is to make, free men and women. Instead, what we're cultivating is a society of consumers and cogs. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's literally cultivating this society that is antithetical to what we believe we're called to be as Christians, which are free men in the kingdom of, of, of Christ. Right. right. Absolutely. So, and, you know, we, we, we have, you know, Going back to how how we talked about, well, we see we see little spots as Christians where these you know these freedoms are being impinged, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even just talking about you know, just basic God given rights, you know, it's already a, a bit of a departure for us. But but then we get to that point where we say, okay, well, having my kid at home, that's that's a God given right, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so education is one of those areas where a lot of people have woken have woken up to that religion, sure. you know, <laughs> as if, you know, even just using the term religion is buying into pluralism, <laughs> but, you know, okay. So well, re- religion is protected mm-hmm. ostensibly by our legal system, but, you know, what else should our constitution be addressing? And, and this, this is how, this is how radical we want to be. We want you guys to think about, you know, if we say we want to amend the U S constitution, how much do you freak out? And please use this to consider, like, you know, how how profound a change in thinking it is that we're proposing. Some listeners just got the willies when you said that. So, <laughs> so, so you 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 you've you've made a small amendment. Yep. Yeah. So I just you know the the Constitution, the First Amendment reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free speech thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Most of your you know. Uh, classically educated students probably already know this amendment by heart or, or very close. So I would just want to add one little statement, one little phrase. Actually, it's just two words, two words long. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or schools. Gasp. Yes. No schools, no government schools. Um, th- all education should be private. Um, there should be no government education. and the government shouldn't be allowed to create public schools. Well, sh- certainly shouldn't be able to compete against, you know, that's what we do, right? We yeah. all have to pay our taxes. Right. And so, you know, and any Christian school, any private school is heading into a market that is, you know, already rigged against them. Absolutely. Right? And the well, government's constantly doing things to undermine efforts to educate that don't fit in with the, their public government school model. Well, and and I'm I'm going to actually be uh, fairly generous, I think, here and say that it's it's probably not. Although it is by design, it's probably not some nefarious conspiracy in terms of 
um, you know, some educator in the in the right bureau, they're they're not up there, you know, wringing their hands at night, thinking, you know, how can we control people? It's just worldviews working out. That is exactly it. It is it is the outworking of a particular worldview, and and so the reason we say that this might sound a little bit radical is because um, this is what we're used to. This is what we know. And this particular model of education is what we're arguing doesn't produce Freeman. Um, but when we say that it produces dependency, um, we're talking about not just in the educational sector, although it, that, that does uh, continue on beyond just, you know, uh, junior high, high school, elementary school into the, the collegiate field, um, but in all parts of life. It yes. creates a kind of dependency. But that, that is, by the way, what education is supposed to do. Sure. Right? It's supposed to shape you for the rest of your life. And it's shaping them, shaping our culture a certain way right. to depend on institutions. Yes. And that's where, like, so, so we're not only saying, okay, well, you can receive a Christian education and, you know, and be taught, you know, yeah. be raised as a Christian, or you can re receive a, a government education and be raised as a citizen. That's your highest possible yeah. achievement. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we have been saying that, but we're, we're going beyond that. Yeah. What we're saying is that if you are educated institutionally, particularly by a government institution, you will be made institutional. And this is where we start talking about Christian institutions. Absolutely. And and this is where I want to be really careful because we're, you know, the goal isn't to pick a fight, but I do hope that to raise some awareness. And, and I want to just give one quick little caveat. Um, I've been involved in in administrating, starting and administrating two institutional schools, private Christian schools in, in my career. And so I understand the motivation. I understand what parents and, and what people are trying to do. What we're hoping to raise your awareness uh, to our dear listeners is the fact that what a lot of times Christian schools are doing is you're adding chapel and Bible to an institution that is already working against what you're doing. And sometimes that's the case even with classical That's Christian right. schools, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is something that we've we've we started to unpack Latin a little bit. Bible and right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's there you know and and what for for us as as we look at that, what we see is well, you know, how to what degree are these institutions institutionalizing, right? Right, and you know, of course, there's gray area about well, what does the word institution even mean, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so you know it. We're trying not to talk in absolutes, but rather in tendencies. Sure, right. And and the tendencies that that we're talking about um, are so felt. It's that water that the little fish didn't know that they were swimming in. Um, and and so let me throw out a few just to to kind of you know get us thinking about it. Um, well, I'm going to back up before I give you the, these few. When we talk about that this creates the tendency to create simultaneously both consumers and cogs, what we're saying is that the way the public schools are structured in schools that follow the Prussian model, even if they had Bible and chapel and all that, um, is creating people who endlessly work in a system both inside and outside of school. They're actually literally being schooled to be both consumers and cogs simultaneously like a self-licking ice cream cone. <laughs> you know, I want the audience to know that I knew that was coming. 
<laughs> and yet it still got me. Yeah, self-licking ice cream cone. Okay. Well, go it's, on. <laughs> yeah, it's you, you're basically participating in both the construction and the consumption of, of a particular product. Yes, and you know this is why I think you know the sort of as an aside here, but you know we we for example we buy into as Christians we buy into this this spectrum mm -hmm. with two opposite ends of the right and the left. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I have my very robust political opinions. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we should be apolitical. But what I, I guess I do want to say is we are not radical enough so that the pagans are confused and bewildered. Yeah. They can peg us. They can put us on that political spectrum. Why? Well, because we're not radical enough. Right. We're like, just copying them. That's right. right. We're, we're somewhere on their on their little it's a little spectrum mm -hmm. we're on that instead of being like the universe is made new behold <laughs> the power of jesus christ and we are his people oh no 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 we're we're just a people among many uh, and we have our our little opinions just like everyone else does well that goes back to what you said about the pluralism right we we've, we've adopted as christians we've adopted the pluralistic you know yep. worldview you know we're we're americans we believe in the freedom of of religion and speech and all these things and so we're we're going to adopt this pluralistic mindset rather than just being tolerant under the government of of different you know worldviews we actually Maybe unwittingly, but we do adopt it. Right? Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and it's hard not to. It's it's the th you know what the heck is water right. thing, right? Yeah, that yeah. the fish fish <laughs> ask each other. <laughs> like you know, we we get that, and we also understand there are things that we probably don't see either. Sure, but man, we know this conversation needs to be had. Yeah. So so this is related. Let let me make two um, very clear statements here. First. Schools, if we've come to accept them, literally create a dependent society, not a free society. We scratch our heads, right, all day long wondering why Americans and, and most Europeans, for that matter, are so dependent on the state. But we don't realize that we're actually cultivating this kind of thought by our school system. Okay. Yeah. Secondly, schools, as we've come to accept them, have no logical limits, Okay, now that's something that's a little bit harder to conceive, but I want to throw it out there anyway. It creates an abyss, this black hole of jobs, money, advisors, bureaucracies, and bureaucracies to regulate other bureaucracies. Oh. And the list just continues to go on and on. Yep, one certification upon another. Right, yep. So so we, we have these two fundamental uh, outcomes for uh, this particular model of education. And, and so what we want to, to recognize is to step back and realize for the very reason that Christians start Christian schools, um, we all understand that every despot even understands this, right? That by controlling education, you control the direction of a culture. You control the destiny of a, of, of, of a country. And, and so this is why there's a fight for education in, in the model. But if we only step out of the public school model and just copy it, and, and, and Christianize it, we're not going far enough. Okay. So I know we've had all this talk, but I'm just kind of summarizing all this. So here's a couple of things getting into the weeds, right? So the way schools create a dependent society is that they tend to confuse service and substance, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe we'll call it processes and value. They literally school students to think in categories of processes and services rather than values. And, and this, this, uh so this really is the crux. Of, yeah. we've, we've got plenty more to say, sure, y'all. Sure, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> but but this really is the, the, the crux of what we're talking about here. Right. We're, what we're talking about, when we say 
we are institutionalized. What we mean is that we buy into the process. Yes. Okay, so, you know, we, we, you know, so Scott and I must spend half of our work week talking philosophy of education. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we end up doing in the office together is just talking mm -hmm. about education. Uh, and so, Scott, you know that, you know, so I have a, a, a I guess, a multicultural background. Sure. Right. And, and it's hard for me not to compare or see you know, how you know, in different countries they do think certain things different ways and then see like how this, this these ways of thinking emerge. And, you know, a couple of things come to mind. I, I remember realizing, you know, so I spent several months in, in Chile, actually a couple times in my life. And uh, I, I remember a, a moment when I walked past someone who was handing out a flyer in like his public plaza. And uh, the person with me kind of stopped me and took the flyer. And, and then we had this whole conversation. I, I had I had already kind of kind of noticed, so I ended up asking. We had this whole conversation in Chile. Everyone takes the flyer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if some guy is handing out things for a car wash in the United States, you don't necessarily feel an obligation right, to do that. Right. Um, so then I asked, well, why is everyone? Everyone always takes a flyer, like, mm -hmm. and why is that? Because it's their job. It's their job to take the flyer. No, it's their, it's, it's that person's job to oh, give out the to flyer. give out the flyers. So, so, okay. it, so that means I have a responsibility now an mm -hmm. obligation civically to take the flyer from them because <laughs> I, they, I, they, they, this is their job. Mm -hmm. They're doing their work and, and I shouldn't stop them from doing their work. No, I you should, should just, participate in I it. should participate in this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, maybe, uh, a more free market or American mindset might be, well, you know, it'll sort itself out. If no one wants these flyers, this person will get another job. Right. right? But so, you know, there's, there was a, that bit of institutional institutionalization that I saw that really kind of, kind of woke me up to a, a lot of Latin American ways of thinking about employment. But then, you know, when I, when I went to Brazil most recently to do missionary work, I was originally going to do sports ministry. Mm. I was, so I was going to help plant a church and, you know, the extra work I was going to do was maybe sports ministry. I ended up changing that to men's ministry. And the reason for that was that right after we arrived in the city, city, right before we arrived in the city where we were, there had been a crackdown by the city government on any sports related activities that were happening in unregulated areas, Ooh. specifically uh, what this looked like was, so the, the reason it came up was that there had been complaints about too many personal trainers taking their clients into parks. So they, these are unsanctioned, uncertified, unreg, you know. Exactly. The, yeah. So okay. at the same, yeah. at the same time as I was realizing, oh, this is a problem in, in another part of the country in Brazil, a basketball ministry was shut down uh, because activists connected to local schools uh, brought it to the government and said, look, all of these pastors who are running a basketball ministry, none of them are, here it is, physical education teachers. None of them have received the certificate from the government to make them physical education teachers. So actually, it didn't matter how much good they were doing for the kids. It didn't matter how much they knew about basketball. What mattered was that they weren't certified. And right. then these personal trainers, their livelihood actually doesn't matter because it's not it's not certified. Sure. Right. Yep. And so kind of, you know, both of those examples, the one in Chile, the one in Brazil are sort of, you know, maybe opposite poles of it, but it's completely institutional thinking. Sure. What, you know, what it absolutely does not allow for is my freedom of enterprise. 
Well, just to kind of piggyback off of what you said, um, we actually had an experience uh, when I was pastoring in Las Vegas, where as a brand new church plant, we were going out, handing out flyers and letting people know that the church was starting. And one of the ladies agreed to watch the children, um, uh, you know, the small children at her home. And so everybody was dropping off their children, but a neighbor who was a licensed daycare professional uh-huh, yes. <laughs> saw all these kids getting dropped off and literally called the police. The police showed up. Um, a, a person from the department uh, from the city showed up saying, you're not a licensed daycare, yeah. you know? And, and so this is that institutional thinking. Absolutely. Let's think people about what it has meant to be human yeah. for how many centuries have older women been looking after everybody's children right. since forever, <laughs> since there was an old woman. <laughs> All right. The first time there was an older woman, she was this looking after children. children. This right. is a thing older women do since always until this age. Yes. And now we're institutions that you need to be certified by the state to be able to watch yeah. children. Well, and who's certifying you, right? right? Like in, in the world of education, you have these private entities in weird relationships with the state. Right. And with qualifications that are not often they're often not academically impressive not what not matters at all. is that they got the right relationship with the government that's right oh. and that and and that is so frustrating i think for people who are looking for quality education are the gatekeepers to accreditation and some of these other institutions who have the relationship with the government they become the gatekeeper give the stamp of whether or not somebody is you know qualified to educate or they're they're yeah. actually doing the job they say they're going to do and the kind of product that they're putting out is far substandard. Well, we see, you know, we've talked about how Christians do often see certain manifestations of this institutionalization yeah. without sometimes realizing how pervasive it is. But often the marker, what brings it up the, the attention of the Christian, hey, wait a second, we are totally institutionalized in this one arena. Yeah. It's often the mediocrity, mm-hmm. right? That's sure what is. actually sets off the alarm bells. All of a sudden we're concerned because of the mediocrity. We, we see that and like, hey, right. wait a minute, who's <laughs> who's the gatekeeper here anyway? Yes, but yeah. you know, what if there is a vast shadow of mediocrity descending upon us all? Uh, you know, let's, <laughs> so let's fight that. <laughs> all right. So, so back to processes, right? Yeah, the, the process is that we are the whole reason we called this or, or titled this, you know, you've been schooled is because from a, a from a, a brand, you know, fr- from a child, we're being educated to think this way. Yes. So even homeschoolers often, right. they, that you've been schooled. You could say yes. that to a lot of people in homeschool. Well, and, and I've argued, I, I don't like the term homeschool. I totally get it. And this is going to sound like I'm splitting hairs, but the idea that we are homeschooling, if we're not talking about schooling in the leisure sense, yes. okay, most people don't even know that exists. So when they think of homeschooling, I'm going to do what they do at that institution, but I'm going to just do it at home right. and I'm going to get their permission to do it. Well, and you can see the maturation of the homeschooling movement generationally as that sort of thinking has begun to change. So I homeschooled in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the reason we homeschooled, there are two reasons. So we moved up from, you know, so I had always gone to school in South America. And then at age 12, we came to North America. I did one school year of school in Canada. Everyone's getting it back, my crazy background now. (laughs) Uh, And then we moved to the States and my parents had heard about this thing called homeschooling. And they decided to try it. It was in California. So like half of our homeschool co-op was illiterate hippies. <laughs> I'm sorry. They just could, they could not read. Uh, but, you know, because they, they were, you know, free range, like, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- those 
kids and those families were probably more tuned in than the Christian families. Right. Because what was, what were my parents, my, the, my Christian parents motivation? So part of it was, Ooh, how scandalous, mm-hmm. right? Like over oh, the things that you're being shown. Um, but you know, so that was a negative thing, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily like we can show, but the, the, uh, the big thing though was, I can do this myself. I can provide a better education, but that was being compared to these other Prussian models. So basically a lot of homeschooling, and this is your objection, is, you know what? I can do one-on-one a better job of the Prussian model than these very terrible Prussian model schools around me. Absolutely, yes. And at the end of the day, we're still doing it according to the Prussian model, right? Right. So Scole, Scole really is such an important concept that we are going to hit again and again as we continue this show. We have to. There's so much to unpack. And, and I think there's been a lot, and, and I'm very, very thankful for the different institutions in classical education that have addressed Scole. And, nice and use this. of the word institution. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a bit of a pickle here now with that word. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, the, the awareness has been raised, the treatment that's been given. However, um, I would agree with you. I don't think we've gone far enough, right. you know, and so maybe this is part of what makes us so very radical. <laughs> well, let's talk about the processes. All right. So we, we've kind of come full circle here. Um, confusing processes with value. Mm. Right. So, so think about this in school, students are conditioned to conflate teaching with learning. And, and this might even get under the skin of some teachers if, if we're not careful, if we're not thinking about this, right? Um, and, and this is part of where, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, how dare you, you know, mess with our teaching. But teaching and learning, teaching and education are not the same thing. No, they're not. And in fact, let's both be teachers yeah. who confess that it's possible to be well-educated and never have a teacher. That's right. Now, it's possible, right? It's not ideal. And you, you, you know, you're creating certain circumstances. I, as a language teacher, like I teach English as a second language. Every once in a while, I run into someone who did actually learn to speak English by playing video games and watching movies. Mm-hmm. But that person is vanishingly rare. <laughs> Teachers have a place, right? <laughs> they have a place. But um, it's very easy in a world of institutionalization and certification to think that the teachers are the necessary part. You know who the necessary humans for learning are? The students. The student. They, they're, they're the ones who have to have the desire, the wanting. Absolutely. Now, I, I would also add to that that probably it's not likely that many students in this particular culture um, will be motivated to learn on their own. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and maybe in a lot of cultures, I, I remember reading, you know, Socrates said that you've got to beat it into young kids. You know, that, was his, that, was, that was his goal, you know, to, to force them to, to, to become educated. It's not till later that you, you value it. But there is this sort of conditioning to believe that teaching and learning are the same thing. And, and the way this happens is because great advancement is also conflated with education. Mm-hmm. You pass the first grade, right? You must know everything there is, you know, to move into the second Actually, grade. Actually, I, I don't even think that we say that. It's just you pass the first grade. Outcome-based education. That's right, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't, you know, do you know everything you were supposed to learn in first grade? Eh, it doesn't matter. You, you were told you passed. You, You're yeah. in second grade now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is where you are. Well, when one of the schools that we started, uh, we used um, a, a diagnostic system um, to uh, any student who came into the school 
had to take the diagnosis, and, and we would do it every couple of years with all the students, to really see what their educational, you know, did Achievements they Achievements were. Yeah, yeah. Well, did they know how to read and write? You yeah. know, they're, they're going into ninth grade. Can they read and write? Oh, well, yeah, and we're, we're not against standards no, at all, and we're no, not no. against evaluation. We're all for those things, but we have to do those things in a personal way. You know, so Master Postma is teaching such and such a thing. These things, are you... Are you ready to are, sit under Master Postman? Yeah. Are, <laughs> well, that, that reminds me, uh, the, the way you just described that, uh, you know, the Summa Theologica, uh -huh. uh, the six-volume th Summa Theologica was the work that Thomas Aquinas gave to students before they <laughs> came to study with, with, with Master Aquinas, uh, Master Thomas. Uh, so, wow. Yeah, it, I, I didn't know that, man. No, yeah, that's, you had to know shattering. the Summa Theologica before you could actually go to college. Right? Wow. So, well— <laughs> And, and we're going to make a case later on. Um, I don't even know if Joffrey knows yet. We're going to make the case later on that to recover the real university, we have to have a deinstitutionalized society. Ooh, okay. I'm excited about that. All part. right. Yeah. So I'm not I mean, bite though. I'm not going to bite. <laughs> All right. So we're conflating teaching with learning. We're conflating grade advancement with education, and we conflate diplomas, sometimes test scores, mm -hmm. okay, with competency. Ooh. Yeah, you graduated. You're certified. You yep. must know what you're doing. You know, and that actually, I hope that pricks the heart of all the homeschoolers listening. Mm -hmm. We are, Kepler is a platform for homeschoolers. Yes. Uh, so let that prick the heart because I know that you have said, just as I have said to justify us homeschooling, homeschoolers get better test results than yeah. <laughs> government school kids. Hey, you know what? Actually, that that's not where we need to hang our hat. No. Well, and so I think that's a step in the right direction to be able to demonstrate that the way that we educate, um, you mentioned sure, a couple yes. of episodes before, you know, that while we, you know, may have had the right to stand up and say, I'm homeschooling my kids and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And we may end up in jail. That probably would not have been the wise step, but a step in the right direction is to demonstrate we didn't need the institution after all. Right. Yep. And so national standardized testing demonstrates that students who are homeschooled, uh, typically outperform by a lot, mm -hmm. most, most of your public school students. So this idea though, that, um, you know, you have to graduate or or pass this test score implies that someone has come up with a standard. Right. Who is that someone? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Yeah. Who is the one saying this is the standard? Once again, education must be personal. Yeah. And it starts with the persons of the student and that student's parents. The parents, yeah. Comes back to them. That's the God-given mandate. That's where it is. So you can see here that, that – um, it's very easy to be schooled into the fallacy. I'm going to call this a fallacy of equivocation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> process and value, it's the same thing. And, and by shaping the student's imagination this way, schools shape the entire culture, social imagination into conflating processes and services with real value. Right. And I think uh, we, you know, once you become attuned to this, yep. it's like, okay, let's try to break this, this, this way of thinking down uh, and, and break away from it. You you are going to find yourself constantly surprised at how at how you've you've just accepted this, yes, right? Because yeah. it is you know it, it it is the wool that's been pulled over our eyes, and it is so pervasive. It is the water we swim in, and we don't even realize that we're in water. We don't even yes. you know we don't even know the questions to ask. Do you want to know how to know you you've you've absorbed some of this thinking when institutional achievement is seen as legitimate, but independent accomplishments? are suspect and we are all 
guilty of that. We are all guilty of thinking that the person who went to culinary school is a better baker than the person who learned at home. <laughs> is it, 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 it fascinates me, right? The person who learns at home may cook this fabulous meal, um, know everything from nutrition to presentation and, you know, in, in the craft of culinary art because they practice, they've learned. And in our modern day, you can watch YouTube videos and take right. online course. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to learn. All these valuable things that you, you get in culinary school. Right. It is valuable. Right. Sure. But- you have a degree or you, you've, you've got a certification or whatever it is that, that's given right. out when you pass the school. Um, what, what are we actually really looking for? A good meal or the piece of paper that says you can make a good meal? Right. right. Yeah. And we all know we, and, and I think there's, there's been a longstanding joke, you know, somebody's got the sheepskin, but they don't really have the, you know, the education to go with it. Right. Somebody's got the letters behind their name, uh, you know, Dr. Dry's dust <laughs> kind of thing, but, but they don't, they don't know uh, enough uh, to actually perform the job. They're not competent. So right. that's what we're looking for. So, um, a couple of ways that we can see this actually kind of come to fruition. Um, the political philosopher, uh, even Illich, argued in the 1970s that the culture's, I'm going to quote him, increasing reliance on institutional care adds a new dimension to cultures and especially the poor's helplessness, psychological impotence, the ability to think or fend for themselves. What Illich argues in, in his book, written in 1971, is that this generation is growing up in a system that appears to be the norm um, when the institutional nature of our society is really only about a century old. And what's happening is we're throwing money at the poor saying we're going to make this better so that they get out of their poverty. And all we're doing is impoverishing them further yes. um, it, because of because the way we're they not think. educating them. Exactly right. Yeah. We're not educating them to be, to be free men. And, it, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, again, where we often see the symptom, but we don't see the whole. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those examples is, well, how are people taught to read? Yeah. Right. Why do we have so much functional functional illiteracy? Well, it's because phonetics from the beginning of the American government system, mm -hmm. we're not a part of the plan. Yes. Right. So everyone had to be taught how to read well enough to work in a factory. And this was going to bless the <laughs> people somehow. Right. <laughs> but, you know, of course, what it did was it set a ceiling on their ability to conceptualize and to and to come to new texts and new material. Um, and so, you know, there there is a large movement to change how people are taught to read because yes. people saw the problems that came from that thing. But why was that idea even there in the first place? Mm -hmm. Because of a worldview that taught that humans were to be indoctrinated in a certain way. Yeah, well, to be the cogs and consumers, right? right? You're, yeah, they're, they're being trained to be the cogs and consumers we need for this kind of society that's going to be an industrialized society. Right. right? Now, I, I want to be really, really careful here um, so our listeners, you know, um, hear what I'm saying. Um, I remember reading... Uh, Karl Marx, um, I don't know, I think high school or something, we read the Communist Manifesto, you know, Workers Unite um, uh, for the first time. You know, it was later when I was in college, actually, that I read his 1944 Paris Papers. 1844. 1844. What I say? 19. <laughs> I, I knew, I knew you knew the right thing, so I was trying to cover you subtly. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. This is a different Karl Marx, 1944 Karl Marx. No. Yes, 1844, his Paris Papers. And, and so this is where he was really kind of fleshing out some of the criticisms um, mm -hmm. before it actually kind of gelled and codified into the Communist Manifesto. 
And it's fascinating. Um, I find people like Marx, uh, Ayn Rand, some of these philosophers who are really good at identifying the problem right. and their solutions that were worse than you know, the yeah. cures, worse than the, than the, than the, uh, the sickness. And, and so I, I want to be careful when I say, um, you know, I'm not in any way endorsing Marxism or, or, or his solutions, but what he identified when he talked about alienation. Yes. Is this very thing that we're talking about? That's right, here. right. That's right. And this kind of maybe goes back to my comment about Christians being easily pegged and put on the spectrum. Right. Right. And we are actually afraid because we're on this political spectrum to say, you know what? That's right. Yes. Or whatever. Like this, this radical Southern agrarian is right about X and Y, but his solution is deficient, whatever it may be. Or Chesterton's, um, oh goodness, distributivism, mm -hmm. right? There's something there, yes. but maybe it's not complete. But we're afraid to say those things because we're afraid of the labels on that spectrum. Right. We don't want to get right. get stuck into to some place on that spectrum that's right. not going to be popular. Like, we, right. you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we, we'd rather have insults hurled against Christ's name uh then be called a communist right you know, <laughs> <laughs> hey if you know you're not a communist <laughs> just do god's work that's right well so so these are the kinds of things that i think you know marx at least identified um you know this alienation uh realizing that you know you're taking a child from the home early on um and in educating them in a particular way so that they become the cogs and the consumers right i mean henry ford said very blatantly you know that he wanted his factory workers to make enough money to be able to buy his cars yep right, right. so well, they're the self-looking ice cream cone that i'm talking yeah, about absolutely but marx also created self-looking ice, sure ice cream cone, like, yeah. again worse than anyone else right because he wasn't able to step outside that system we as christians we have the gift of the greater universe. We have the we right should universe. should be able, exactly. Yeah. So we should be able to step up and above it. We can identify a problem, but not have the problem be a part of this old system. That's right. Yeah, yes. We, we, we have eternity in our eyes. We ought to be able to do this. We, and, and everything, you know, having eternity in our eyes, you just said this, that ought to influence everything that we do, including education and how we look at the very structure of it, right? Not just pulling away from the government schools, but thinking about how these things were modeled. Um, one other example that I thought was just really interesting um, that um, an author by the name of Atul Gawande, I don't know if you know him, mm. um, uh, Indian author, and I don't believe he's a Christian, but he wrote a, a book called On Being Mortal. I've heard of this book, actually. Okay. I've not read it, though, so I, I, I'm eager to be enlightened. Well, I, I, I thought it was so fascinating because he actually touches on what you were just saying in a moment ago in the medical field. You know, it's like, here's this problem, but I believe it comes right back to what we're talking about. School, people are schooled into thinking institutionally. But he lamented the idea that the healthcare system has enforced this idea or reinforced this idea that medicine and medical technology is equivocal, you know, is equivocal to healthcare, that healthcare and medicine and technology are all the same thing. They're equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this idea that, you know, um, we're going to try to give people, if it's a week, if it's a month, we're going to extend their life as long as we can, even though they're suffering, even though this is costing enormous amounts of money, um, for the family, enormous amounts of emotional pain. We're going to do everything we can to use the modern technology to give them even just three more weeks. Because they don't have eternity. Because they don't have eternity. Um, now, he wouldn't have identified that particular part of it, but what he's identifying is people are literally resigned to the institutional management 
of doctors and morticians. So death and dying are, are given over to the healthcare system. That's given over to this idea that, that we have to preserve life or give me one more, you know, give me one, the doc, he's the doctor. Yes. He should know. And this goes back to some, uh, some, what we talked about in previous podcasts where mm-hmm. technique, technique, if it has no ethos technique without Jesus is, in, is enslaving. That's right. Right. So we have, we have the ability to create a bionic man. Sure. Right? <laughs> Should we? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, you know, the, the idea of dying with dignity now, uh, doesn't exist or if it does exist, it's been perverted right now. I get mm-hmm. to kill myself. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. But, but that's another one of, that's a Karl Marx type solution. It is right. A, yeah. Where you have, uh, you identify the problem. No one is dying with dignity anymore. And so then you grasp for the nearest thing. And the nearest thing is, I, I suppose, auto-determination because there's no God. Right. And, and you, but you, you start reaching out to the institutions for answers. Right? Yes. So, you know, what should we do? Well, what does the doctor say? What technologies are available? What does the hospital, you know, tell you, yep. you should do? And if you, if you are one who goes against the institution, you may find the institutions pushing back or the, the state, the ultimate institution pushing back. No, you can't take your father home to die with dignity. Yeah. That, and that brings up the UK case there a few years ago. I think the little boy's name, I want to say was Charlie. I don't know if yeah, that's that accurate. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, um, and I mean, there was an Italian, um, medevac plane paid for by the Italians landed at Heathrow, ready to bring that little boy and, and bring them over there. Even if they thought he was going to die, um, the family didn't have the right because the institution said no. The integrity of the institution was more important than the human life. That's right. Yep. And, and so. And, and that's not, that's not, that's not abnormal or the institution breaking down in that case, that is the natural outworking. What's remarkable is that the Italians were even willing to do it. Sure. <laughs> well, and, 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 and probably I'm, I'm going to guess, I, I don't know, but, but probably it goes, you know, to a, a very pro-life mentality that's probably deep, deeply rooted there. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. Yeah. Right. But, you know, let's even, let's take one, one more, uh, and I want to be real careful, but not get too political here, but, but just think about this for a minute. It's all about what does the institution say? Ask them, what does the CDC say? Ooh. Forget about what the statistics show. What does the CDC say? We're like, what does Fauci say we should do? Yeah. Right. How come nobody's listening? So once you become part of the institution, now you have all the authority in the world. Yeah. But you common man can't, and you, can't and, read. <laughs> and I hope that our audience is sort of seeing that we've been building towards this episode, right? Yeah. We've been talking about the little themes around all of this, like trusting the experts as, you know, experts are, are authorities, right? you know, just automatically. It's just such an inhuman way of thinking. It is completely inhuman. See, this institutional thinking literally gives the state a monopoly on the social imagination. It allows institutional bureaucracies to set the standards of what is valuable and what is feasible. It allows institutional bi- bu- bureaucracies to define what reality is. That's right. Yes. So this is valuable. This is real. This is what you're allowed to do. And it all starts because we've given over to being schooled. Yeah. We're schooled this way. And we want you We want you guys, as, as you're listening, of course, to be thinking actively about what this means for your, your children's education, for your educational journey, for how you hope your grandchildren will be educated. But again, you know, beyond that into the whole universe, you know, the, the, I am proud. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that Brazilians are 
insisting on natural birth more and more. Yeah, that absolutely. may sound bizarre. No, but, <laughs> but in, in Brazil, everyone gets a, a cesarean section and there are almost no home births. Well, those things are growing. That is preaching the gospel. That's right. It's, and, and, and we think it's not. We think it's some sort of side thing. No, no, no. Like having the courage to what, wherever your situation is to say those things and to deinstitutionalize whatever it looks like in your state. Yeah. It's this is an important moment and it's an important example for your children and for your grandchildren. And th this brings up to me just kind of in, in a concluding thought, what you were just talking about, but with Brazil is Addis Huxley's Brave New World. Right. Mm -hmm. So here we have a picture of the world state, you know, where where babies are born institutionally. Every, everything is it happens institutionally. And there's this one little segment of society called the reservation. And on this reservation, they're gross because. They copulate to have children. They breastfeed. They educate at home. They, they, they. You know, so right. all of these weird, you know, off the grid, off the world state. You know, they do all these human things, uh, but the world state is so institutionalized that they literally die as looking young. You know, because we don't want you know there to be any interaction with death or birth. So here's a charge I'd like to make and you know and you you mentioning Brave New World makes me think of a of a another science fiction book I read some 20 years ago Cory Doctorow mm. um Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom I think it's called. Uh, and and in that book, you know, you it's it's first person narrated Everyone lives forever. Mm. As you read the book, you realize that actually what happens is they you you upload your brain periodically, <laughs> digitally, uh, and then when you're ready to replace your body, you just activate a clone. Okay. okay. Now the book is being written, and then you download your mind into the exactly. Clone. Oh. So really, what you're doing is you're killing one person, yeah. and then a new a new person with those memories is right. But th all of that kind of off to, uh, to, as an aside, it's a, it's a fascinating book. It's really interesting to read and explore all of these thoughts. But one of the things that struck me when I read it as a young man was that uh, when this system started being, it's universal now when the book comes in, everyone does this. Why does everyone do it? Because, you know, there were wars about this, you know, mm -hmm. in the background of, of, of this, of this book, but those are long gone now. Why are they long gone? Well, the you know the governments were fighting people who resisted and it was it was bloody and it was rough and and it gave the resistance life but then the governments realized we can just let these people die off and a lot of their kids are going to drift away and they they're going to want to be immortal too yeah. so we're just going to ignore them and eventually all of those people disappeared uh, in this story, sure. right? And I was just really struck by that. So here's my encouragement to our listeners. Don't be irrelevant. Right. Right. So, yeah. so we're not urging people to withdraw. No, not at right? all. We want not you to deinstitutionalize, yep. but we don't want you to withdraw. We want Christians to conquer for the sake of humanity. Right. Yes. Not to just withdraw into like, we can be humans in the woods. No, this, no. But that's what the incarnation is all about, right? That's right. Yeah, that Christ came, you know, to become human, to save humanity. And that's what we ought to be about. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, listeners, thank you for uh, tuning in. And I hope that this isn't too radical for your blood, but you would <laughs> give some uh, thought to what we have said. Joffrey, thank you for, um, you know, joining me today. And, and so, yeah. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to the next one. All right. Take care, everyone. So long. <laughs>